Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Hey, guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from, with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. With the Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Tis May, tis May, the lusty month of May. All right, calm down, Guinevere. Sorry, Kev, but what could be more exciting than spring showers, green trees, and new flowers? Well, how about new Patreon subscribers? Tell us more, a wise one. Well, you, let's do some spring cleaning of your wallets and head on over to patreon.com. That's right, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com. And you can search for Behind the Curtain, Broadway's Living Legends, and then... Go ahead and set up a monthly donation. Even a dollar a month helps us. Your contributions help us continue doing what we are doing and bringing these legends and stories to your ears. I'm off to pick flowers now. Ooh, may I join? Yes, but dress light because it's very warm for May. Uh, That's Jerome Kern. Yeah, I got it. Hi, I'm Rob Schneider. And I'm Kevin David Thomas. And this is Behind the Curtain, Broadway's Living Legends. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter at Broadway Curtain, and make sure to join our Facebook page at Behind the Curtain, Broadway's Living Legends. And follow us on Instagram at Broadway Curtain Podcast. Plus, you can always listen to our podcasts on Broadway World and Stitcher. A living landmark. Yes, that is the only way to describe today's guest. She has been a staple of the Broadway and cabaret scene since the 1980s, and her enthusiasm for the arts, both on and off the stage, is palpable. As a producer, she has helped bring to life such shows as November, The Norman Conquests, Finian's Rainbow, Ragtime, The Addams Family, Catch Me If You Can, A Gentleman's Guide to Love and Murder, Bright Star, one of my all-time favorites, American Psycho, Significant Other, Once on This Island, Angels in America, and (laughs) in the 2018-2019 season alone, 13 shows, not to mention her iconic cabaret career. We are so honored that today we are speaking with the grand dame of the cabaret scene, an eight-time Mac Award winner, three-time Tony Award winner, and one of our favorite people, the one and only Jamie DeRoy. Well, thank you. I, I feel old now. No, no, no. <laughs> You are not old. So we're going to make this simple, Jamie. Tell us what you're not producing on Broadway this season. I think that's probably the best way to go around this. Well, I'm not producing a lot of the Tony-nominated uh, shows, but uh, but luckily I'm I, I'm involved in some that 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 are. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I'm I'm not on Hades Town, but I actually brought money to it, and you know, and I, my a lot of friends involved with the prom. So there's yeah. you know these are shows I'm I, I'm actually not involved with, but the uh, it's it's just been a very exciting season. Yeah. I I just. Um, you, you almost wish you could say yes to absolutely everything. Do you get asked by almost everyone? Oh, uh, pretty much. Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, your name is out there. And when you look on IBDB, there's your list of producing credits, just the different names that you have. You oh, know, yeah. Each, I mean, there's well, like 30 or 40 different. What happens is that, you know, sometimes it's just all me on my own. Yeah. Um, and sometimes they'll 
either just only give you a, a certain amount or somebody, you know, you have, I mean, on like on Ain't Too Proud, I felt that I owed it to Richard Winkler because he was the one that said, get out to Berkeley and see this show. And you're the one that knows the producers and I want to team with you. So I, I'm not going to turn around and dump him. Right. Um, so it, you know, it was the two, it was the two of us and we kept trying to get more and more capitalization and 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 I think basically at the end we got like one unit to share more. Mm. I could have done so much more on that show. But every show's different. Yeah. You know, some shows might be harder to raise money for, but that doesn't mean that they're not the ones that turn out to be mm. the big success. Yeah. Um, and sometimes I don't think I can, you know, pull it off and then I sort of go beyond what I was asked to do but I always rather over <laughs> I ra you know rather yeah. than under uh, you know come under the wire yes, of, that, of what I promise I'd rather go over it's it's just really hard if if uh, if you don't quite make it right. to where, where you're supposed to be and and every every show is a different um, level of how much money you have to bring in every show yeah and some shows only let you do one name, or some shows will let you do two names, or some three, or some, you know, oh, it has to be a company name. Huh. And, you know, so they're all, they're all different uh, deals. Yeah. But the, certainly the first one that, um, that, I ever, uh, that I ever did above the title was Cheetah Rivera, Dancer's Life. I was involved before that on Broadway with Say Goodnight Gracie, but I was really only an associate producer. I didn't really raise money for that. So what is the definition of, then of associate producer for the I listener who doesn't know? <laughs> to be honest, I honestly, in this case, I didn't raise my, any money. I wasn't asked to raise any money. Um, but I, I just, you know, was, was given a title because I helped out a lot and mm. saved them a lot of money in other ends. But okay. um, everything is different. Sometimes there's... Um, when you look at a title page and it'll say all these people on top and then it'll say in association with, you would think that those people would be considered associate producers. Sometimes they are, sometimes they aren't. Sometimes your title is co-producer and sometimes your title is producer. I look at myself because I'm not a lead producer. Mm. I look at myself all, all the time as a co-producer because I don't take credit for things that other people have really spent so much time doing. I mean, if the, if a musical by Barry Kleinbord and Joseph Thalkin by the title Was ever comes into being, which I keep kind of trying for, but I haven't, you know, given up my life to devote all my time to it, yeah. then I would become a lead, a lead producer, producer on that because I've been involved for over the years for a long time and I have, you know, a real vested interest in, and, and also a connection to the writers. But in most of these cases, they come to me, the project is in place, mm -hmm. and they're pretty much asking me to raise money. Now, things that I do like at primary stages when I team with them, I'm still in association with, you know, it's brought to you, you know, by however they, they yeah. decide to word it. Um, like Little Women I'm, I'm, I'm doing, uh, which is their next project. Um, and it's directed by Sarna Lapine, who yeah. I worked with when we did Sunday in the Park with George on Broadway. And she did a beautiful job of that revival. And written by Kate Hamill, and I was involved with Kate in Pride and Prejudice last season in, at, 
at primary stages. So, but but again, it's a done deal, and I just you know try to bring more money to the table or try to bring more marriages of of, of business marriages to you know. So, um, but I because I guess I get involved in a lot of things. I I wouldn't want to be the lead on something because I just don't think I could give it the time that it deserves. And I don't right. want to not, you know, give everything to, to some, pro and as it is, I, I'm going, I'm, I'm tired. Yeah. <laughs> I, I need some sleep. It seems like your phone must be ringing constantly <laughs> because everybody knows who you can, if I need to raise money, who are you going to call? Jamie DeRoy. I mean, like she's, well, she seems to be the one that knows all the people. a lot of other people out there too, but... But I mean, I'm I, I'm certainly one of them, and I and I get involved in in off Broadway and Broadway. Although I have to say, for the most part, off Broadway is harder. Uh, Why it, is that? I I don't know. You would think it shouldn't be just because they're smaller budgets, yeah. and um, I mean, look, some of the most successful shows in history have been off Broadway, like the Fantastics mm -hmm. and Stomp. Right. Um, still going. It's still going, yeah. yeah. Um, but but those, you know, also started many years ago, and it, and it was just a different mold. I don't know why it's it's so hard, and it, it it's it's like everybody that is successful off Broadway, then everybody wants to move to Broadway, <laughs> but not every off Broadway show is a real Broadway show. Mm -hmm. I mean, last year's. Fiddler on the Roof in, 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 in Yiddish that started at the Museum of uh, Jewish you know, Heritage, Heritage yeah. mm -hmm. you know, was moved off-Broadway. And that's a hard space, but it's doing quite well mm -hmm. at stage 42. And it looks like maybe we'll be the ones that break, you know, break the jinx of that theater, because I always feel it's kind of got that. Yeah. Um, but it's, it's such a beautiful show. It would have been... Really ridiculously expensive to move it to a Broadway house, even to a small Broadway mm -hmm. house. But if you could, then it then it would have been a Tony nominee because there's then it would have made the third in the category, yep. yeah. you know. But doesn't guarantee it winning. It doesn't guarantee it's making its money back. Um, so it's it's just always hard. It's always hard to know. But I mean, certainly in an off Broadway field, that I am so proud of that. Mm -hmm. And you know I, the the fact that Hal Luftig and Jana Robbins brought that, and and you know with Joel Gray and and it's it's really successful and they it almost feels like a Broadway show, mm -hmm. but it's not. Yeah. Yeah. And it's because it's you know that theater is what four ninety nine and you have to be five hundred or over to be on Broadway and in the grid and all yeah. these things you know it's like the Lehman trilogy. Oh my God! What a gorgeous production that was at the Armory, but the Armory is not considered a Broadway house, so it you know it can't yeah. it can't compete in, in in the Tonys. But hopefully we'll bring it back, you yeah. know, and hopefully I'll get to be involved. Boy, it was really well liked too. Oh my goodness, yeah. it was an event. What attracts you to a project? Hmm. It's really hard to say because obvi obviously a very eclectic taste. Yes, yeah. <laughs> I was going to say. <laughs> I mean, there's no one thing. Um, you know, I've done a bunch of one-person shows, like John Leguizamo mm -hmm. and, and Latin History. I always loved him. I loved Mike Birbiglia from this yeah. time I first saw him off-Broadway in Sleepwalk With Me. Mm -hmm. um, 
Turn Me Loose was not a one-person show, but it felt like one, be and Joe Morton playing, you know. Um, I loved that one. It was, and was yeah, one. and it still maybe one day will move to Broadway. Who knows? I mean, he plays Dick Gregory. It's, yep. it's, it's, I don't think it will never not be timely. I think so, too. Um, but... Uh, you know, and then there's whimsical things, and then there's serious, really serious things. One of the most beautiful things I felt that I was ever involved with was Corumboy. You couldn't get a ticket to Corumboy oh, in London. And when it, I went to the invited dress, and I, it was so moving. I just sat there, the play made me cry. And at the time, I would say that was the most expensive play done on Broadway at that time. Mm. And it, it probably would have had a better life if it had been done like at Lincoln Center. Sure. Um, and certainly maybe not at the same year that, you know, Coast of Utopia was on. But it, I just felt like this is probably the most important piece of theater that I'll ever be involved with. But anyway, I mean, just there's just things that are so you, across you the board. You follow your heart as much as what will be financially successful as well. Yeah, it I seems. would say that. I mean, like, yeah. I mean, Angels in America was just a beautiful piece of theater. Yeah. I knew it was going to be hard, you know, to make money on it. Right. Um, but it was just so magnificently done and so important. And, I mean, when I did Thurgood, which was Lawrence Fishburne, which another one-person show years ago... David Suskind told me in this little brush that I had with him of what, that the hardest thing to do on Broadway is a one-person show. And um, I'm trying to remember the name of the show that I had seen that he produced that was so... It was about John, John Aubrey, and it was starring Roy Dotrice, and it was a magnificent piece. He never left the stage, including at the intermission. He played. It was it was an older man. He mm -hmm. was telling stories, mm -hmm. and he's sitting in a chair, and he just sort of dozes off like an old man yeah, might do. Yeah. And and the audience, half of them wouldn't even leave the 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 theater because they just watched him. And then when they came back, he just sort of woke up. You know how when your head <laughs> falls yes, yep. to the side and you That's you amazing. it wakes you up, yeah. and then he goes, oh. Where was I? You know, and he keeps going on with the story. And I'm like, I will always remember that. But anyway, so Thurgood, we were kind of told that we probably wouldn't make our money back. So I did not go to any investors because I can't go to an investor and ask him to, or him or her, you know, to put up money that they may, you know, knowing that they're not going to get it all back. Mm -hmm. So I did all my own money. We were we thought we'd make maybe half of it back. We ended up making 60% back. And I didn't even consider that, you know, a failure at all. It was filmed for HBO. Uh, I got my first credit on television, which my mother saw and <laughs> called me all excited. And the, it's there in, you know, yes, in perpetuity. Forever. And Lawrence Fishburne was so magnificent as Thurgood Marshall. And it was such an impressive and important piece. And in in, in uh, D.C. when we opened, every Supreme Court justice came to see this and to see the opening. And you realize when you're in Washington what the difference is, especially on a piece that is a political piece, yes, that, you know, that, that uh, 
you know, it's not the celebrities, it's the politicians. Um, we're hoping that, you know, hundreds and hundreds of years from now, people will listen to these interviews to see what theater was like in the early part of the 21st century. Can you walk us through how a show gets produced at this point? So let's say, for example, you see Ain't Too Proud, you see it up at Berkeley, you enjoy it. What are the next steps to take it from Berkeley to Broadway? Well, there are a zillion steps to even get it to Berkeley mm -hmm. before I became involved. Even something like that would be fabulous for our listeners. Well... I mean, you know, somebody got, comes up with the idea and then, you know, you have to find someone that's going to be the overseer, which is the director, and, you know, they, they kind of conceive all this and they probably have taken all these songs and figured out, you know, how to make it all work and you have to work. So I'm sure that, you know, they worked with... Um, Danielle, the, the writer, and, uh, you know, and everything gets kind of piece together, even when I'm invited to a reading mm -hmm. of something, there is so much work that goes on before they invite yeah. produce, possible co-producers to a reading to see it, or presenters, you know, of who might want to get involved in presenting something. Um, a ton of work goes into it. I mean, you know, all these, all these pieces have to be put together. And that's why I'm saying that I'm, I consider myself a co-producer because I do come on board later. And, and, and all this work has been done leading up until that point. Now, a lot of work is done after that. Um, and a lot of your suggestions, you know, could be listened to, but you have to channel them in the right way. Mm. So, you know, you're not supposed to go to the director and say, boy, I didn't like this, or to the writer, you know, or to the composer or anything, you know, you can tell something to whoever they deem that person, which is usually the producer that you come in under. And, and you know, sometimes they, they, they listen and sometimes they don't. And I'm sure sometimes a lot of those suggestions are coming at them in many, many, many different directions. All of these shows out of town they, they get reworked. Yeah. That's why they go out of town. But I think that going out of town these days is a lot different than it was in the early days because when you were out of town, a lot of people, you know, couldn't get there or didn't get there or if they did, it's not like, you know, there was no internet. So yeah. it wasn't, right. there wasn't this easy access and, and everybody didn't consider themselves a critic where they could write online and, and criticize something. I see people writing on, I don't go to the chat boards, but I see Facebook things, and, and, and I see people writing really nasty comments about, you know, because one person, you know, wrote something that, was, that wasn't totally, and it wasn't even totally negative, but, but it wasn't totally positive. Right. So they'll take the negative end. Oh, I feel so sorry. This person needs a hit. You know, they, they, everybody knows when they're in a stinker, you know, I was like, give it a chance. Right. Has you it know? opened yet? Yeah. You know, and it, and it's like, wow. And then this very same show that they're putting down gets nominated, you know, for, for a Tony. Look, all of us have been wrong about projects on, in, on both sides. Yeah. We've been wrong about thinking that something is going to be the big hit. Mm -hmm. Everybody thought Rocky was going to be the biggest hit in the season. Yeah. You know, or Baby It's You. I mean, there have been a lot of shows that people have hung their everything on yeah. and then 
it falls it falls apart. But I I just like to give people the benefit of the doubt, and I try to be positive in public. I mean, if I'm talking mm -hmm. in a very private situation, of course. not on something that's going to be podcast. Oh, yes, of course. But that if we were in, you know, over dinner and, you know, I, I could say something and I would ask and hope that it wouldn't be repeated, mm -hmm. you know, at least, you know, accredited to, you know, I mean, mm -hmm. it, it, it's like when somebody says this is off the record or please, you know, this is between us. They mean that, but that's not what people usually do. Right. So, for example, something like Ain't Too Proud or Tootsie, uh, you go out, you see it in Chicago. Well, we'll take Tootsie as an example. You see it in Chicago, but you're not giving any money to that Chicago production, correct? Oh, yes. In this case, we did. Okay. Now, every 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 show is different. Mm -hmm. Sometimes, you know, the whole idea is you go out of town and you see something and you make your mind up there. Um, I personally don't like to do early money or enhancement money. Now, you might, you know, if somebody looks at primary stages they might look at it as that I don't I I mean it's a it's a donation at that point I I don't have a vested interest you know or enhancement or early money you're getting usually a better deal on your money um, than you do that if you come in a little you know a little the, later the projects or enhancement for those of you who don't maybe know, know is when you do workshops and readings and you're you're helping develop the piece from an earlier stage. Is that correct? Right, right. Yeah. And, and the, the, the good news about that is, is that they'll make a deal with you like, uh, like what they refer to as one for one, which means that um, when the producer, when you break even, the producers then split the profits with the investors. So it becomes 50-50. Mm -hmm. And out of their 50%, they'll give you a, a percentage. So if you're getting a one for one, you're getting their 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 fifty percent. Oh. Um, but if you're getting a, a a one for three or a one for four, a one for two, and early money should be yeah. one for two or three, uh, you know, because yeah. other things are one for four or five, whatever. Which means that for every four dollars they collect in a profit, they'll give you one of those. So it's like twenty percent. They share twenty percent of their profits with you. <laughs> However. Some of these things don't make it to Broadway, so that enhancement money that you've given them, bye bye, yeah. Yeah. it's it's just gone. And I remember seeing a project in a reading in New York that was going out to California. It was going to L.A. and I love to go to L.A. and and I I was ha I had fun with the project. I thought it was really, you know, good, and. But I wasn't sold on it, and uh, I, you know, I was asked, well, why don't you just put in twenty five thousand now? Like twenty five thousand dollars then was nothing, and it was a lot to me. Mm. And I said, well, I really don't have it now, but I'll tell you, I will. I'll fly out to L.A. at some point and make a visit, combine it with other things, and I'll see the show out there. Well, the reviews came out before I made that. I didn't have a trip planned yet. The reviews were so bad that I just, I was like, well, I'll go to L.A., but not specifically to see this. I never did see it. But it never, it never happened. So, you know, I was like, okay, I just saved myself $25,000. Yeah. But the truth is I wouldn't have given it, yeah. you, mm -hmm. you know. Um, and, and 
on rare occasions, there's things that they don't even let you. Book of Mormon, I was asked to in, 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 invest in, but I was asked by a, a London producer, and the minimum was a, was ten thousand dollars. Whereas if I was asked in New York, it was fifty thousand dollars. Mm. Well, when though, now maybe those people got to see a reading of it. I I wasn't included in that reading because I couldn't write big checks, so I didn't know what it was. And it you know it could have could have been great. It could have been. I heard all kinds of well, Michael yeah. Riedel wrote all kinds of things. It's going to be picketed. Yeah. It's going to be you know it, it was so dirty that you know yeah. who knows. So I thought. I'll take a chance. And some of my investors wanted to take a chance. It's the best chance I ever took because <laughs> I, I forget what it's up to in New York. It's six, 15, 16, 1700% profit. I mean, it's, it's major. Um, and and, and then there were all these tours too. Um, and that's the kind of show that's like helping fund other shows right. for mm -hmm. me. Sure. I mean, and that's why, I, for many reasons, I want things to be profitable, because I keep putting money back into other things, yeah. so I need things. If everything loses, uh, hello, I'm not going to yeah. be able to do this, or I wouldn't go, be able to go to somebody and ask them in good conscience to, to put something in. I'm, I would never ask somebody to put money into something that, one, I haven't done myself, and two, that I didn't have faith in. Mm. But at the same time, you have to face the reality that when you write the check, you might be saying goodbye to that money. Right. You have to. It's like that's gambling. why yeah. it's like what gambling. Exactly. <laughs> In a way, it's it's a it's a different kind of gamble. High risk, high yield. Yeah. Is there an art to asking for money? Well, if there is, I haven't figured it out yet. Best <laughs> 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 answer. <laughs> I mean. I wish I knew what the, you know, there was this magic way. And and sometimes I just mention something to somebody and they it excites them. Listen, I offered Book of Mormon to a lot of people that turned me down. And then there was one of my friends who said, why didn't you ask me? I would have done that. And I was like, well, first of all, you weren't in a position, you know, because of being accredited investors and all that kind of stuff. But second of all, I wish I had asked you because you probably would have said no. Yeah. And I, then I could say, well, okay, but I did, and you and and you turned me down. Mm. But you know, to but to be said, why didn't you ask me? Well, or you ask somebody and they turn you down on everything, and then you get to a point where well, maybe you know that's not the person I'm going to go to first, especially if you only have limited, you know, things to offer which was certainly the case on Ain't Too Proud. Mm -hmm. And um, uh, my brother hadn't invested with me since he wanted to do nice work if you can get it because he had a crush on Kelly O'Hara. Yeah. And uh, But what happened was he lives not far from Berkeley. He lives out in Marin County. So I made a plan to just go visit him and take a friend with me and that we would drive to Berkeley and see this show. I never thought... That I didn't push my brother because I just didn't. They didn't like, they were like, we don't like the K-1s. There's too much paperwork. <laughs> <laughs> so I never pushed it. And then I got a call saying that they wanted to do it. And um, 
And then my other friend that I went with wanted to do it. And then all these other friends are calling me, you know, can you get me again? And I'm giving, I'm giving an, um, investors away because I, I couldn't get enough of, uh, on my own. Mm. Um, but, yeah, I, I, there's, to me, there's no art. Mm. We're in the midst of Tony season right now, and you have um, so many shows that are in this season and shows that are competing against each other. Is that yeah. correct? Yeah. So how do you... I, I don't want to say <laughs> vote. Do you pick up, how do you vote? <laughs> or promote? <laughs> promote. Actually, how, how do you come up with a campaign strategy for these shows. Well, I don't come up with a campaign strategy really. They do they yeah. all do with the ad agency and the marketing agency. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, I couldn't ever take credit for for anything like that. Um, I don't go into a season saying, "Oh, I'm going to cover myself and get a bunch of plays and a bunch of this yeah, and a bunch yeah. of that." Because if I did, I would have you know, gotten behind, there were only two revivals this season, Kiss Me Kate, which is Roundabout, mm -hmm. and Oklahoma, which, so they're, both of them are going to be nominated no matter what, and if, if that was my m modus operandi, I would have been in, 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 in Oklahoma. I just felt at that point I had so many things mm -hmm. that I just couldn't raise money for another, another thing, but I, I'm not a Tony voter this year. Um, I'm, I'm, got all my papers together and I missed the deadline. It was too late. Um, so I guess, uh, you know, I, I am active in, in Outer Critics Circle sure. and Drama Desk. Um, but it's, it's, it's hard to know when you have your babies, you know, it's like having to choose your favorite child. And I don't have children, but I can see what, how, how that works because I love them all and, you know, for different, for different reasons. So... Mm -hmm. Um, it, it's, it's really hard. I, I have to say, of course, we were all kind of sh shocked, and I was surprised that, you know, both To Kill a Mockingbird and Network were not in yeah. the best play category. A lot of people were, yeah. I, I really thought that they would be, um, and, um, I'm, you know, I, I feel bad about that, um, I think, you know, being a, a, a nominator must be a, a daunting task. I don't know how it all works, but um, but it was still it was still shocking. Um, but you know, we have to be grateful for what we have, and absolutely. you know, I I you know, ain't too proud. I think is absolutely beautiful. I love Tootsie. I think it's one of the funniest musicals that you know I've ever ever witnessed. And so you know, it's 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 really. Um, it's it's just it's just really hard, um, and be more chill. I didn't really expect that it would get best musical, but you know I was very happy for Joe Iconis because oh, yeah. I think he's so 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 talented. But and Beetlejuice is another one that's totally fun, yeah. but. Uh, you know, you just never know what they are going to choose. Mm -hmm. um, I was so thrilled that in the best play category that the Waverly Gallery oh, yeah. was remembered. Yes, indeed. Because I think it's a beautiful play. I remember seeing it off-Broadway originally, um, and, and, and it was Eileen Heckert, and I remember her being yeah. amazing. But I thought this was Elaine May's 
incredible and best work, but of course she hadn't been on Broadway in 50 years, and we're not gonna see her on Broadway again, I'm sure. She's not gonna tackle another role. So I, I just, I would love to see her you know, walk away this year. But again, this. you're surprised <laughs> yeah. that Glenda Jackson didn't get it yeah. and that King Lear wasn't nominated. Yeah. Um, so it, 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 it's really hard. Um, and, you know, for, 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 best, for best play, I was involved with Lifespan of a Fact. I, I really, I liked that play. Me too. Too. And, yeah. and I thought that cast, you know, was wonderful. Um, so it's it's really it's really tough, and I thought everybody in Gary was amazing, and then of course you go, wow, Nathan Lane didn't get a nomination, but you know maybe they feel he's won before. So who I don't know yeah. how I don't Politics know, yeah. you know how they think, but I do know that when I saw the Ferryman, which is nominated, and I made a a special you know, early trip to, to London. I was going anyway, but I had to go a day earlier just to get the ferryman in. And so a bunch of, I said to everybody I was going with, let's go a day ahead of time to see this show. And it's a long show and we were all thinking, I hope we're not so jet lagged that <laughs> yeah. we fall asleep, but nobody did and everybody awesome. loved it. And it's just a, ma I, I think it's a masterpiece. So I'm, you know, I have high hopes for the ferryman. Um, but, you know, sometimes you see something out of town, but it doesn't translate in town. That, that's all, and, and vice versa. Yeah. Yeah. You'll take a Tony Award winner from New York, like Memphis, I wasn't involved with Memphis, but it won the Tony here, and it, and it lost everything in London. <laughs> and it, you know, there, it, there's like no explanation for this. And it's, it's not a new thing either. I mean, I remember when I was in, before I was in investing or producing, I saw a play there that I loved so much, The Secretary Bird. It was really funny. Mm -hmm. So when it came here, I laughed my head off, died. When Loot first opened here, it was a bomb. Yeah. Bef you know, then it went to a not-for-profit many years later. But when I first saw it, it, it closed in a matter of days, yeah. and I thought it was hysterical. Yeah. There's just no rhyme or reason. There's no rhyme. Yeah. yeah. It's yeah. There's just a different sensibility, mm -hmm. and sometimes timing has everything mm -hmm. to do with it. Maybe sometimes before you know it's before it's time. It's or, you know. Yeah. But as time has gone on, you've produced so many shows. You have a very strong barometer, I'm assuming, of what will be effective and what won't be effective. Yeah, but that doesn't mean I'm not wrong. Sometimes yeah. I'm often wrong on both sides of the fence. What, is there? Can you give us an example of one time where you thought this was going to be? a big old-fashioned big hit and then it, it just didn't pan out the way you were hoping? Or vice versa, where you invested and you thought, this will be fine, and then well, I'll lay my money in Well, there's things that, yeah. I, you know, when I, when I did Vanya and Sonia and Masha and Spike, everybody said, are you kidding? <sighs> they, they, they went through their audience at Lincoln Center, but I thought it was hysterical, and I know and love Christopher Durang, and I just wanted to see it you know, get moved to Broadway. So I got behind that. Did I think it was a Tony Award winner when I when I got involved? Hell no. Did I think that Gentleman's Guide and To Love and Murder was gonna win the Tony? No way. I thought it was great fun and it really was my sensibility, mm. but it was, I think it defied all odds. Yeah. So, 
you know, I, I, I don't know. I mean, there's, I know in the Adams family, we did not get good reviews, and we were given a piece of paper that, a little paragraph from five shows that had been panned by the New York Times. And the thing they had in common, that it, they were all running at this, at, is still running, and they had been given bad reviews. We didn't quite have that right. run, but, yeah. but you know, we almost recouped on Broadway, and then with the, the road and, and licensing. Oh my gosh, it, it's like it, one of the most know, produced musicals in the country. I mean, it's like one of the top 10 of, of, of for high school for musicals. High school really? I think, oh, I think it's yeah. number one this yeah. past year. Like, who knew, you know? Wow. It's, yeah. See, there you go. You you could never know. You just physical. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, I, you, you never know. You never know. And I think the regions will do. Be more chill. Will be done everywhere. everywhere. Yeah. It already is. You know, they were they were smart to license it so soon. Yeah, and and I you know and and I think that people even going into be more chill, even if it wasn't, you know, because we uh, now there are a lot of young producers on this, mm. but you know there are older producers and investors in this that just saw that there was going to be a great licensing mm -hmm. uh, potential. So, you know, there's an afterlife of all of these shows. Mm -hmm. And sometimes you think there's going to be an afterlife and there isn't. But when there is, that's that's the that's the the, the dessert and yeah. Yeah. You know, <laughs> and, and, yeah, that that that's that's the gift that keeps on giving. And in addition to all the producing you do, you're still performing. Well, not as much, and it it's gets harder and harder. My memory gets worse and worse, and I don't even take Ambien. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it really, it does get harder to remember sure. lyrics. And, and, and just even in the producing of, the, of the, uh, the variety shows that I do, it's so time-consuming mm -hmm. that... And then, and then there are all these other producing things. So it's it's just hard to know, you know, where to put the priorities. Yeah. And uh, I might have misprioritized a while ago, but you know, whatever. And what do you mean by that? Like you were, you had gone a performing career, or more of that, or? Well, I don't know. I mean, I you know, you you get kind of sucked into you know into this, and and it sort of leads you yeah. in that in that in that way, and and. Um, you know, I probably would have pursued more. You know, I have a cable TV show for a lot of years. Yeah, now, Jamie DeRoy and Friends. Nobody yeah. knows where it is or that, that it's on. I mean, I have friends that, you know, after all these years, you have a TV show? <laughs> and somebody comes up to me and said, oh, I watch your show. I go, you're the one. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> somebody came up to me once and said, oh, my daughter is such a fan. I went... I have a fan. Yeah. Yes, you have fans. <laughs> oh my goodness! Oh my gosh! Yes, you do. Well, we should talk about it. Let's now. We're going to jump all the way back. Where'd you grow up? I grew up in Pittsburgh, mm -hmm. and uh, what's kind of funny is you mentioned to me before we got on the air about Harold Prince. When when I was a kid, um, my my. My father had invested through a friend of his in pajama, first in pajama game, and then in, da in damn Yankees. Yeah. And it was through a friend of Harold Prince, and I always thought it was Harold Prince's roommate. But Harold Prince told me recently that it was that this guy was his brother was Harold's roommate. I was like, it wasn't even a direct relationship, <laughs> Jesus. And and I said to my father, how did you get 
you know, because I think they each put in a thousand dollars. But yeah. you know, in 1954, that yeah. was a lot of money. That's money. Mm -hmm. But they made a lot of money. Oh yeah. And he said, "I said, did you listen to the score? No. Were, <laughs> did you read a script? No. Oh, what made you decide to? This was not your thing." And he said, well, you know, we knew of George Abbott, the director. Mm. In our mind, he was the star. And oh, yeah. I found that so interesting. But what was great for me is when I was a kid, then I got to go to New York, not for the opening, but I, I was taken to New York. I got taken backstage and got to meet Janice Page and John Raitt and Eddie Foy Jr. Oh, and wow. then... And then I was taken again to, to meet, you know, Gwen Verdon and Damn Yankees. Oh and it was, it was just fabulous. And that's because Harold Prince, you know, made the arrangement. But my father never got into producing or anything. Yeah. Not after that. I mean, he didn't keep investing in shows after that? Well, funny you should ask about that. <laughs> because he did have a friend in Pittsburgh whose mother was Mary Kay Frank. And she had a very big success with tea and sympathy and he's like you don't even know harold prince you know me my mother's you know a big producer her next project was a, a thing called too late to Fallerope, which was a play and it was a play way ahead of its, its time and uh my father so my father did invest in that and in his mind it lasted a night i think i looked it up i think it ran I don't know, three nights or mm -hmm. something, not, a very brief. So at that point, my mother was like, no more, no more. Yep. So then my father would tell me, you know, I tried to get back on the list for Fiddler on the Roof, and I just couldn't get in. And I told Harold Prince this recently, and he said, I feel so badly that <laughs> I, let, I didn't get somebody in that helped me at the beginning. And I looked at him and I said, well, I wish I knew you then <laughs> because I would have made the call and said, please let my father just have anything, a little share. Because as big as, you know, Pajama Game and Damn Yankees were, Fiddler on the Roof was like today's uh, Hamilton. Hey, podcast listeners, are you looking for a place to rehearse in New York City that is clean, spacious, and most importantly, affordable? Come check out Shetler Studios and Theaters, our wonderful host for these podcasts. Shetler is centrally located on West 54th Street between Broadway and 8th Avenue, right in the heart of the theater district. Right in the heart, you'll find music, dance, and acting studios, complemented by two black box theaters and six presentation venues. The professional facilities, inspired environment, and expert industry staff combined to provide the New York artist with an unparalleled studio experience. Visit their website at shetlerstudios.com. That's S-H-E-T-L-E-R studios.com. Shetler Studios and Theaters is our home for recording the legends of Broadway, and we hope that you make it your artistic home too. That's Shetler, S-H-E-T-L-E-R studios.com. See you here. So you're in Pittsburgh. When did you get bitten by the performing bug? Well, pretty young. I, 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 when I went to see Pajama Game, I kind of always, you know, I was already doing little parts in mm -hmm. little community theater, very, you know, little whatever. I mean, I, I wasn't a child star by any mm -hmm. stretch, but... But and in all school productions and stuff, I was always, you know, picked up to be the princess and the princess and the pea or, you know, whatever. And then I started doing things outside in community theater and whatever. But 
Um, I, when I, when I was in the Broadway audience of Pajama Game, that changed my life. I mean, seeing that, feeling that, seeing all those performers, there was such a thing that is like, this is what I want to do. And of course, when I went to Carnegie Tech Mm. at the time, before it was Mm. Carnegie Mellon, I wanted to be in musical theater, Mm -hmm. but they really didn't, it was even before they did musical theater. Um, and that's why after a year I, I wanted to come to New York because I wanted to experience musical theater. And I went to AMDA. Mm-hmm. And my, one of my classmates was Tyne Daly, who I, 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 I'm friendly with to this day. So when I had the opportunity recently to help out the production of Downstairs that starred Tyne Daly and Tim Daly, yeah. of course I jumped at it. Because it's it's like that's a friendship that goes back at least I, at least fifty years. I, I lost track. It's probably more, mm-hmm. but you know, um, you know, I, I it's like I had to do that. Oh yeah. And uh, but so I you know I, I always wanted to to do that, and I was auditioning, and finally somebody said I can get you an audition for it was called AFA Ashley Famous Agency at the time. I can get you an audition. I'm, you know, you're on your own, own after that. So I auditioned for Ashley Famous, thinking that they, I would get signed for the musical theater department, which would have put me in that, in, to me, in the, the right track, the track I wanted to mm-hmm. be on. But they said, we can only get you an audition in nightclubs. And I was so naive that I was like, well, what do I care? I sing, I, I'll sing anywhere. And I auditioned. It became International Famous Agency, IFA. And I started, you know, like working up in the mountains. So they put me in just my very first show show to break in in New Jersey and Goldman somewhere in New Jersey. So he says, you can make mistakes. You just try your act out. But by the way, I had been in The Drunkard, off Broadway mm-hmm. and on the road, and mu- and my our musical director was Barry Manilow. Huh. So I was still working with Barry even when I came off the road, um, and I, we you know we were just working on songs. We weren't exactly working on an act. I mean, it was a, the beginning of putting an act together, yeah. but I don't know if it was quite an act yet. <laughs> and my this, so this agent said to me, how. Uh, you know how many chart you know charts for you know for for how many and I sat there in his office and I thought I know what charts are and I know one thing I don't have them (laughs) (laughs) but there was never a performer whether you're an actor or you know in a performer to go you know start doing nightclubs that ever took that as an obstacle because you know, somebody could say, could you skate? You go, oh, yeah, and then you go learn to yeah. skate, yeah. and then you come back, and yes. you play the guitar, That's you right. show up. So I called, and I said, well, how many do you need them for? And he said, well, we like everybody to have charts for eight. And I said, well, I don't have that many, but we can make sure we can have that many. So I called Barry Manilow, and I told him about this audition and how it went, and I said, I need charts. And he said, come over, we'll start working on it. 
and he got, he was, he was busy, so he started, he outlined the charts, and then he gave it to this guy, Bill Inglis, to actually mm -hmm. write the charts, and they put an act together for me, and I started doing the mountains. But opening for Joan Rivers was yeah. amazing, too, because that was when I really morphed into, because, you know, when I started singing in the mountains, mm -hmm. And in nightclubs, and my and my first big gig was at the living room, which mm -hmm. unfortunately doesn't exist anymore. It was a great room, and I opened for a comedian, Erwin uh, C. Watson, who they had, you know, really big plans for. And I was not allowed to be funny, and I, but I hadn't even thought about being funny. My act was just singing. Um, but then, when I I kind of got married and divorced at one point, and in 1975, after my divorce. And not working all that much during that yeah. that time, which was several years, um, I came back to Reno Sweeney. Oh yes. And I did the showcase there, and I was seen there by Rupert Hitzik, who was Alan King's partner, and by Lee Stevens, who um, not not least, yeah, Lee Stevens, and he and um, he and he was at uh, William Morris, mm. and. Uh, so they encouraged me to go more comedy because I had just gotten divorced, as I mentioned, and my ex-husband's lawyers showed up in the audience, and they just, they didn't mean to heckle me, but they were heckling me. Yeah, they were. They were, like, talking back to me. And nobody said, you're supposed to be talking to the singer in between songs. But they would say things, and I would say things back, and they were funny. Mm -hmm. So they said, you know, you're really quick on your feet. Did you ever think about going the comedy route? Because, you know, no offense, but there's a lot of singers. Yeah. And there aren't a lot of female comedians. And I hadn't thought about it. I just, I was always kind of naturally funny, but mm. I didn't think I could make a living doing it. And that that's what put me on that path. And so I started doing funny songs and doing parodies of songs that I already had charts for. Yeah. and. Um, and, and I started doing it in New York, and when I went out to California to supposedly break into television, and I got there for all the strikes, the strike of oh, the yeah. uh, actors' strike, and then there was, a, I guess, a, ones, yeah. well, well, it was either writers or directors, yeah. and then the threat of the others. I always yes. get confused. I was offered Joan, to open for Joan Rivers. Well, I wasn't, you know, I went after it. I won't say I was offered. Mm. I pursued it. Mm. And uh, it was um, Ir Irvin Arthur's um, office that, that sent Eric Gold to come and see me at the Belly Room, which was upstairs at the Comedy Store, which were which was a room for female comics. Hmm. I wasn't a comic really. I just I had funny songs, yeah. and I could be funny talking, but I did not. I had not. You know, I wasn't a stand-up. Yeah. Um, so Eric said to me after the show, you, look, you can open for Joan Rivers, but you're going to have to do straight songs, not, not comedy songs. Mm. And I said, I don't want to go backwards. Mm. I, I, I want to I I do what I came out here to do, which is to do funny songs. So if I can't do that, then there's not, it's not paying enough money to make me want to go back to singing, straight, you know, straight yeah. singing. So he said, well, let me, let me ask. And they came back and they said, yes, you can do that. So the first night, which was at the improv, 
in L.A., and uh, her husband uh, was, was still alive. And when I saw him walk toward me at the end of the night, I was like, shit, I'm getting fired. Because mm. it went really well, and yeah. it was really funny. And I felt really good, but yeah. then I thought maybe it was too good. Too I don't know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Edgar comes up to me, and he said, oh, my God. Joan loved you. She said it was the easiest that she's ever had walking on a stage because they always had singers open for her. They never had anybody do funny stuff. He said, you can go even more comedic if you want. Just relax, have fun, and be funny, and be yourself. And, you know, I didn't become a stand-up. I just, you know, talked a little between songs, but I, you know, I kept doing all the funny songs. And so she was always so supportive of me and so nice to me. And, um, and I'll, I'll never forget that. And, and then when I came back to New York, and she came back to New York to work at Michael's Pub, I opened for her there. So you're, do, you're, doing, you're opening up for Joan Rivers. When do we get to Jamie DeRoy and Friends? Okay, so I was, you know, keep, I kept doing my comedy act. Mm -hmm. It was harder and harder to keep finding new and, new and fresh comedy material mm -hmm. and learning it. Mm -hmm. I have a song that, that I started with at Freddy's. I don't know if you remember Freddy's on East 49th Street. No, tell us about all these places. We love this. Freddy's was, oh, it was a, just a really great club. Um, and it was like off of 2nd Avenue. Mm -hmm. I mean, the living room was on 2nd Avenue near 49th. Freddy's was on 49th off, off, of, uh, off of 2nd. Um, I Freddie, was it Freddie Martino that um, was the owner? I'd almost have to look that mm -hmm. up to make mm -hmm. sure I was right or not, but he just he loved right. performers. Mm -hmm. And so I play there. A lot of performers play there, and I, I just I did my my own, you know, singing act, and, um, but I can't remember at what point I, I met this, well, it was when Jacques Brel was alive and well, oh, yes. the 25th anniversary production of that. I was at a drama league dinner, and at that dinner, and it might have been 89, I think, I'm, I'm guessing, um, or before, I don't know. Um, then I met this doctor who said uh, that he was also a producer. And I said, of what? And he said, the, the 25th anniversary show of Jacques Brel is live and well. And I said, oh, my God, all my friends are in that show. Yeah. And then I said, what kind of a doctor are you? And he said, uh, well, I specialize in pain. And I go, you can't say that to a Jewish person. I'm like, pain? I have pain. <laughs> and so I said, maybe I should come and see you. So things were different in, in medical circles then. Yeah. And uh, he, he gave me his card. I called him. And he said, I'm going to save you a step. I'm going to send you first for an MRI. So I went for the MRI first, and I went to his office you know, after yeah. with the MRI. And I, I was, I really went for back pain and I was having, you know, that sciatic pinch nerve kind of thing. And he was saying, you know, look, it's not anything that, you know, we can need to deal with. Um, it's just kind of ordinary, but um, it, he said, you know, so, you know, get dressed and we'll talk. He leaves the room and he comes running back, wait a minute. 
and he puts his hand on my thyroid and he goes, how long have you had this? And I said, had what? And he said, this big lump. And I said, I have a lump? And he said, you never noticed this? And I went, no. And he said, well, I'm kind of surprised that nobody else ever has. And he said, you need to get this checked out. I'm not a thyroid doctor, but you need to check. And that's, so I started on that. And when they, when they would say to me, I, you know, when I went to this first thyroid doctor, he said, you might have to have surgery. You, you know, it's near your vocal cords. You could lose your voice. So I started thinking, well, what could I do if I did lose my voice? where I could still be a viable force in show business. And I used to give these annual 30th birthday parties, and I would always ask a, a friend or two to do a couple of songs. Because I loved my, I so appreciated all my performer friends. Mm -hmm. I never wanted to steal their material, but I wanted to share their material right. with my friends. Now, I'm not going to, you know, go, oh, this is my friend's material, and then do it. Yeah. So I would just, you know, I would bring them on, and they would do it. Yeah. So I, that's when I got the idea that I would start a variety show. And I used to tell people, I was head of Mac, I used to tell people, you should team up with other performers. And, and nobody ever would in those days. And, 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 and I said, maybe I should just listen to my own advice. And um, so I started doing Jamie DeRoy and Friends. And I, I really, I avoided surgery until I couldn't avoid it anymore. Yeah. But luckily, it was, I mean, it was never cancer. Mm -hmm. so I was very lucky. Yeah. I didn't. I didn't lose my voice. I maybe lost a few high notes and whatnot. Um, and uh, I sang kind of close to my, after my surgery, maybe a little too close to my surgery. I sang one night after, I think it was called Jukebox. They, it was at the John Hausman, and they did a show where you had to sing songs from that were cut from musicals. And they, they would throw... Yes, a Broadway jukebox. A Broadway jukebox. Yeah. So I had a song that was cut from a musical by Charles Strauss, which was the most unlikely Charles Strauss song from Mayer, and it was oh. how, to talk into, how to Talk in New York, and it was um, how, to, how to, you can be a New Yorker too kind of thing. Song. And it was, yes. uh, you know, watch where you're going, motherfucker. Mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> yes. And it's like, you know, watch where you're going. And it's like, you can be a New Yorker, too. Yeah. And um, so I, I, my normal pianist was busy that night. So I grabbed music, not realizing it was before he transposed it. And I gave it to a friend of his, as, you know, that he said can play the song right. for me. But we never talked about, by the way, is this the right key? Well, yes, of course. And so it was too high for me. And I panicked when I was like trying to reach for the last note that, and it was really, it was partly because it, I wouldn't have sung it even before the surgery in that key. But when I went back for my checkup, uh, you know, there's so how's everything? Oh, everything's fine. And the other doctor, not my doctor, but the doctor who works with him, he said, well, I think you went back to singing a little too early. And I said, what do you mean? He said, well, I was there that night that you sang at Broadway Jukebox, and you were having a little trouble with that last note. I was a little worried for you. And I went, 
you were in the audience? I'm like, what are the chances that your doctor, one of your doctors is in the audience and you're found out? And then I said, well, in my defense, I, I hope it's not quite as bad as it sounded because I found out later I gave him the wrong key. It was the wrong key. Yeah. But nobody yeah. knew that. No. <laughs> the audience I didn't, love but that. still. My well, we, we love Jamie DeRyan's Dude. friends. I, well, I love it. It's fun. I mean, I, I just to, like to explore, mm. or not, not really explore. I mean, I do, but, you know, to share all my friends with, right. yeah. you know, my friends. And I've given the opportunity to many people yes. to be seen yes. in front of people that they never would have yes. been seen in front yeah. of. Mario Cantone did my show at Caroline's. He was seen by Ron Delsener and was asked to open for Shirley Bassey at Carnegie Hall. And I was trying to get him to see me for years when I was doing a solo act. Could never get him in. But you know what? I didn't resent it. I loved it. So there were a lot of things that happen for people. Caroline Ray, I just happened to be a good luck charm for every time I booked her, she'd get another job. And I said, I'm going to keep booking you because I want you to be a success. (laughs) And she is. So it, it's just, it's always a delight. And I am probably my be- the best audience sitting on the stage watching yeah. my, yeah. you know, everybody. Because I enjoy, I, if there was a job as a professional audience, I'd have been <laughs> excelling at that job. That's really special. And when I first went to the Monkey Bar, which I ultimately ended up working there, mm-hmm. um, there was a, an act called Crandall and Charles, and they opened for... Mel Martin, and and, pro, and and I don't know if Danny Curtis was there at the same time, too. No, because it was Marion Page and, and Crandall and Charles okay. and Mel Martin when I first went. Um, Crandall and Charles came up to me. I was just taken there on a date. And they came up to me after the show, and they said, we love your laugh. We're recording a comedy album on Saturday. Would you come? We want to we hang a microphone near you. And I yeah. went again. <laughs> but then later on, I end up working there, which was a- such fun. When did you go from Jamie DeRoy and Friends to Jamie DeRoy producer? Well, uh, in I guess in 19... 19- 90, I started Jamie DeRoy and Friends. I was living still on West 72nd. I started it at Steve McGraw's, which, mm. you know, had, had had reopened as mm. Steve McGraw's. They had, you know, re... It was Paulson's. I played there mm. as Paulson's just as Jamie, and mm-hmm. I, they had the Forbidden Broadway sign mm-hmm. up there, and I said, are you going to take the sign down? And they said, no. And I said, oh, okay. Well, then I'm going to call my show Forbidden Broad, because I do parodies, and they do parodies. So this is like yeah. a parody of yeah. a parody. Yeah. I don't know if they were too happy with that, but I thought it was good cross-publicity. So I started there when they, when they were reopening, and I came up with the idea, and I went to them, and they loved it. And it was very easy for me, because I would take my bar stools across the street. Everything yeah. could be taken right back to my house. Yeah. But but in those days, I did it once a week. I, I don't know how I did it, but I did it once a week. And we had great guests. I mean, Laverne Baker and Mario Cantone and Steve Allen. And I, it just went on and on. We, it was, it just, it took off. I should have in then gotten my own TV show. And it probably if I had worked with the right people to try to help me get it, I yeah. would have. I'm not going to name who they were, but they were, the, but they were wrong, and it never happened. Then 
what happened was I'm living in the same building as Jeffrey Richards, and he sent me one day to go see um, the complete works of William Shakespeare Bridge. It was there for one night at Alice Tully Hall, mm -hmm. and he just, you know, invited me as a guest. I didn't know there was an ulterior motive, but I went, I laughed, I loved it. He called me the next day and said, how'd you like it? I said, oh my God, it's so clever, so funny. And I, who really am not a Shakespeare fan particularly, I, I thought it was just a great way to be reintroduced right. to all the plays, some yeah. of which I knew and some of which I did not know. And he said, well, how'd you like to co you know, produce it with me? And my friend Richard Gross and I said, well, what does that mean? And he said, you'd have to raise money. And I said, Jeffrey, I've never raised money in my life. Yeah. And he said, well, why don't you try? And I did, and I, you know, I found out that I was good at it. My <laughs> husband at the time, you know, he helped a little bit, but it was going quite well. And he came to me and he said, whatever you have in is in, and you still have your title, but stop raising money because we want the rest of it. We think this is going to be a huge hit and we want more control. And I said, that's fine with me. I have to get back to work on learning my songs. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So that's what started it, you know. That's and, incredible. And it was at the downstairs at the West Side Theater, and it was, it was a joy. Oh, yeah. I, and I mean, we had an incredible cast that all went on to do wonderful things. Yeah. Yeah. And it, you know, and it also introduced me to actors that I, you know, started having relationships, mm -hmm. friendships with, yeah. let me rephrase that so yes. it doesn't sound wrong, um, that, you know, and I would follow their careers, and it, you, all of a sudden you feel like a mother. You're yeah. invested, you know? yes, You're of invested. course, yeah. And, and I, I feel that way with so many of the people that have been in shows that I've been involved with, even though, you know, there's not this... You know, you're, right. you're, you're not there. You didn't give them the job. You know, they had the job when you came in, but you right. still feel like, you know, they're, they're, they're under your wing. Yeah. So That's really special. So what's next for you? What projects do you have coming up that you're looking forward to? Well, I am definitely involved with, um, you know, with all the things that are still, you know, oh, yeah. oh, my God. playing on, you know, on Broadway now and, and, and off Broadway. But the, the next thing that's, I guess, ab about to open on June 4th is Little Women, mm -hmm. like I said, with uh, Sarna Lapine directing and the brilliant Kate Hamill uh, writing and giving her spin on things. Um, that's at primary stages. We do things now at the Cherry Lane Theater. Mm -hmm. Charles Bush has written a new play that I saw a reading of that, you know, I, I will probably get involved with because I'm, you know, very close to him, and I did his last yeah. play there at, at primary. Jimmy, this has been. But such wait, I have oh, to say, oh my Frankie and Johnny. I, I, how could I forget? Oh, it starts oh, yes. previews on Saturday night. How could I be so stupid? Is this the first show of the next season. It, it is, is the first show of yes. the next yes. season with 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 Audra uh, and, and Michael, Michael Shannon. Yes. An amazing Ooh, cast. Very. Have you seen a run through or anything? No, yet? we're invited, uh, you know, to see a very private rehearsal. Cool. And uh, and then first preview is Saturday. There's not going to be a public invited dress. So, so crashers beware, no invited dress. Great, great. And um, but it's it you know it's a play that I've always loved, and I love Terrence McNally. I've done several Terrence McNally plays, including um, you know that he wrote no um, a, a dedication, which I did at primary stages yeah. with Nathan Lane. Oh. 
We didn't start off with Nathan Lane. The person had got another job and left, and then Terrence McNally begged Nathan Lane to do it. And it was a huge hit, because yeah. Nathan Lane was in the role. Yes, it's a beautiful play. Yeah. I love this business. I, I guess it shows, because yeah. yes. I, I, it's, it's, it's just hard to say no. And, and, um, and I hate to say no, but I, I, I just you can't possibly say yes to everything. <laughs> Because you get too drawn, but yep. we're so thankful for the things you do say yes. Because yes. we well, are able to see such great theater because yeah. you're a part of it. It really is so special. Thank so we you. Thank well, you. I think yeah. it's it's in my blood, and I thank you. And it's I get to meet people like you too. Oh. <laughs> we're <laughs> so honored. Till next time. Bye, everybody. Bye, bye. Today's episode was recorded at Shetler Studios on 244 West 54th Street. Visit Shetler Studios to book your room today, and you could be as cool as us. That's S-H-E-T-L-E-R studios.com. And a big thanks to our sound editor, Daniel Schwartzberg, and social media manager, Bethany Ann Selecki. And friends, don't forget, we want more folks to hear these incredible stories, and that's where you guys can come in and help us out. Yes, in order for people to find out about us, we need lots of ratings on iTunes. The more ratings, the more they'll come up in searches. So head on over to iTunes, search for Behind the Curtain Broadway's Living Legends, click on our logo, click on ratings and reviews, then write a review and leave us five stars and make us feel as special as Eliza Doolittle on Eliza Doolittle Day. Or you can leave us one star and make us feel as bad as Annie did in that weird production in Boston where Annie dreamed about being adopted and then ended the show back in the orphanage. True story, Rob was there. I saw it. So head on over to iTunes and make us feel even more special than we already do. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the RISE Theater Directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions. Supply.